This is God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father in heaven, this is your word that we look at now. uh, And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would apply it to our hearts and that we would believe these words of our Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. I want to uh, read for you a letter that a 70-year-old, part of a letter that a 70-year-old father wrote to his son. He said this, I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness. Though on a review of my life, I find much, very much, for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not promoted His cause, nor sought His glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all this, I am spared till now, and am still retained in His work. And trust, I am received into the divine favor through Him. Now, who do you think wrote this? Was this some guy that's just, you know, he's been struggling with his quiet time? Um, you know, he's whatever's going on. These are these are the words actually of William Carey. Uh, William Carey is a man who went to India in 1793, and he's often called the father of the modern missionary movement. He was involved in translating the Bible into all or parts of 40 languages. Okay, is he is he just depressed? Uh, did he have low self esteem? Uh, didn't he know, didn't he realize that he had done great things for God? Did somebody need to go tell him that, kind of shake him up? Uh, are these just the honest 
mature thoughts of somebody who's lived the Christian life for a long time and understands what it's really like. I think this passage uh, points us in that direction. This is what I want us to do this morning. We're going to take some time to kind of unpack what's going on here, and then we're going to ask three questions from this text. Uh, First is, what is a Christian? Uh, The second one is, uh, how does someone who is a Christian grow as a Christian? And then, what does it look like um, when someone really gets the gospel? What does their life begin to look like? Those are the questions we're going to ask this morning. Now, those may sound to you like pretty basic questions, uh, but the reality is, is that for the average person, there's not that much difference between Christianity, Islam, uh, Buddhism. You pick the religion, most people would say, well, they're all basically the same. You just pick a religion, you just pick a religious teacher, and you do the best you can to follow the teachings of that religion. And at the end of the day, everything will work out all right. You try hard to follow the straight and narrow path of whatever religion you choose. And what this is going to show us today, what this passage is going to show us, is that Christianity is completely different from any other religion. In fact, Christianity is shockingly different from any other religion. And this passage will show us that. Uh, What is a Christian? How do I grow? And what does it look like when I'm really beginning to understand the gospel? Uh, But first of all, let's let's unpack the passage so you can see uh, really what's going on here. We've got a man named Simon here who invites Jesus to his house for a meal. Uh, We're not sure, but it's very likely Simon has just heard Jesus speak. He's just heard him preach, so he's inviting the preacher over for lunch that day. Uh, Possibly he's hoping uh, to talk a little bit of theology with him. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come over, and he goes over to Simon's house. When he gets there, you need to understand that they didn't eat a meal quite like we do. Uh, Jesus and the other guests are reclining around a long, low table. Uh, They're leaning probably on their left arm with their feet extending away from the table. Uh, Normally, when the guests came in, they would take their sandals off, and someone, usually a servant, would come and wash their feet. feet, The feet were placed behind the person reclining because in that culture, uh, obviously your feet are getting dirty, and feet are considered offensive and unclean. That's still true today. If you remember uh, in, in the beginning of the, the, the war in Iraq when the statue of Saddam Hussein was toppled and everybody was beating it with their shoe. Right? This feet are offensive. They're, they're unclean. Uh, so they would wash their feet. In addition to washing their feet, it was also customary to greet guests on the cheek. You didn't shake their hand. You would greet them on the cheek with a kiss if they were sort of an equal, and you would kiss them on a hand if they were a teacher or a rabbi, as Jesus was. It was also common to anoint the head of guest for a meal like this with oil. But you'll notice in this text that none of this happens. And Jesus points this out eventually. Simon doesn't see to it that Jesus' feet are washed. He doesn't give him a kiss of greeting. And he doesn't anoint his head with oil. Now, you're, you may be saying, okay, great. Um, there's some cultural distance here for us. Uh, imagine if I had met you and we invited you over for a meal and you came to the door and knocked and we didn't go to the door. 
we didn't ask to take your coat when you came in. We didn't ask you if you wanted anything to drink. Uh, we just let our dog jump. Oh, wait, we do do that. Um, but, but imagine, you know, that we were just completely rude to you as you came over. This, this kind of how this would feel uh, to Jesus. He has just been really insulted in a very deliberate way, and everybody there would have taken it in that way. So Jesus is there. There's some other guests there who have been invited, but then there are also some uninvited guests there. Uh, it was normal for the doors to be left open and uninvited guests would kind of trickle in and sit behind everybody and just listen to the discussion uh, that was going on. And that's what happens here. Uh, we're told that one of these uninvited guests is this woman. And the text describes her as a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, some translations translate that a woman who was a sinner in the city. In other words, her occupation was of being a sinner in the city. And many would say that the fact is that this woman was actually a prostitute who had come in and who was now listening to this conversation that was going on. Uh, she was at least a woman of questionable morals, as Simon's comment later points out, uh, as he says, he thinks to himself, doesn't he know what kind of woman this is? Everybody knows what kind of woman this is, but evidently Jesus doesn't in Simon's mind. So, uh, here we have this notorious sinner, a woman who is a sinner in the city, and she's brought a flask of perfume, perhaps even a flask that she's worn around her own neck, as was common. Uh, she's prepared to anoint Jesus with this perfume when she begins to weep. She wets uh, Jesus' feet with her tears, and then she lets down her hair in order uh, to dry his feet. And you need to not miss the significance of that either, uh, because in that culture, a woman just didn't let her hair down in the presence of a man. In fact, it was actually grounds for divorce. Uh, if you did that, if you're a married woman and you let your hair down in the presence of another man. So she wipes uh, his feet with her hair, she kisses Jesus' feet, and then she anoints them with this perfume. Uh, she's humbled herself, uh, she's, she's honored Jesus, she's given a, a very costly gift uh, to her, that would have been a very costly gift, uh, and she's expressing her great love for Christ in this. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus has really just been insulted. Uh, he's been disrespected. Uh, Simon has refused to give the kiss of greeting. Uh, he's refused to have somebody wash Jesus' feet. And you might, say, you might think Jesus would just leave. I mean, I think I might say, well, dang, man. And, and you might just think he would, he would turn around and leave. Uh, instead, Jesus keeps quiet and this woman, this well-known immoral woman, comes and does everything Simon has failed to do. Uh, you might expect Simon at this point to say, you know what, I, I, I'm sorry, I really blew it. I, I was acting like a jerk. I'm, I was being an ungracious host. Uh, I didn't do what I should have done. Instead, uh, look at verse 39. This is <clears throat> what Simon thinks to himself. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Uh, Simon's saying, what's this prophet? Yeah, right, prophet. What's this prophet thinking? He's some kind of prophet letting this kind of woman touch him, letting this kind of woman 
kiss his feet, accepting a gift from this kind of woman? He's some prophet. Simon's suddenly a little doubtful of Jesus' credentials here. And it's at this point that Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I got something to say to you. And he tells him this story about two men who owed the bank some money. Uh, One man owed the bank the equivalent of 500 days wages. The other one owed the bank the equivalent of 50 days wages. Uh, And we're told that neither of them could afford to pay the debt. And so the banker cancels both of their debts. He says, you know what, you don't, you don't owe me anything. I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up the note. I'm paying the debt. And so Jesus tells that story and then he looks at Simon and he says, Simon, which one of these two people will love the banker more? Which one of these two debtors will love the money lender more? And Simon answers correctly. He says, well, the one who had the biggest debt canceled. The one who owed him 500 days wages. Uh, Simon got the right answer, but he didn't really understand how that applied to him or to his relationship with God, which is what Jesus does for him next. Now let's read this again. Look at verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, what's the point here? Uh, Jesus is challenging Simon uh, to look at his own heart. Jesus wants Simon, the Pharisee, the guy who goes to church, the guy who reads his Bible, the good guy, to think about the fact that he also is a sinner. That it's not just this woman of the city who owes a debt, but he owes a debt as well that he needs forgiven. Uh, Jesus is saying, Simon, look, look at what this woman has done. This woman who you can only see as an unclean sinner. Uh, You refused to give me water for my feet to be washed. She washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You failed to give me a kiss of greeting on the cheek. She kissed my feet, Simon. And she hasn't stopped doing that. You didn't bother to anoint my, my head with cheap old olive oil. She's anointed my feet with this costly perfume. You haven't done anything. You haven't done anything at all. Do you know why that is? She loves me. She loves me. This woman of the city who you despise, she loves me. And you don't love me at all. You don't love me at all. Simon, do you know why she loves me so much? She loves me so much because her sins have been forgiven. She loves me so much because the debt that she owed has been canceled. She realized she owed God a debt that she couldn't pay. But but she believed me when I told her that I would cancel that debt. She believed me when I said, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. She believed me, Simon. What about you? 
What about you? <clears throat> what Jesus is doing here is he's driving home the point to Simon that much forgiveness leads to much love. Much forgiveness leads to much love. Uh, he's not saying, if you just love people a lot, then I'll forgive you. That would completely contradict the parable that he's just told here. Notice in the parable, forgiveness of the debt comes first, and then there's this grateful response of love. Verse 47, he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Forgiveness or lack of forgiveness determines the response of love or not much love. Uh, the phrase in the beginning of verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, can also be translated, her many sins have been forgiven, therefore she loved much. Why she do all this? Why does this woman, who everybody hated, who everybody looked down on, uh, bust in the middle of this, this dinner party uh, and, and make a spectacle of herself, humiliate herself, draw attention to herself in this way? She knows her sins have been forgiven. She knows that she's a sinner, and she knows that Jesus is welcoming sinners. Uh, look, she, she, because of her profession, she knew that God had a problem with her lifestyle. Right? She, she wasn't under any illusion that things were okay between her and God. She knew that she was immoral. She knew that she was unclean. She didn't need any convincing of that fact. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and in a day when the religious establishment was saying, stay away from us, you're a sinner, you're unclean, Jesus came and said to her, I've come for you. I've come for you. I know that you think everybody that's religious has rejected you, and that you're this sinner, and that nobody wants anything to do with you. I've come for you. You don't need to clean yourself up. I'm going to do that for you. You don't need to pay off the debt. You don't need to work to pay off the debt. I'm going to pay that debt for you. I've come to remove your shame. I've come to remove the offensiveness of your sin. See, this, this woman had heard or heard of Jesus Christ preaching this good news of the gospel about himself, and she believed it. She believed it so strongly that she's willing to, to, to come in to this party and humiliate herself. Come into a place where she knew everybody was going to be talking about her. Everybody's going to start whispering the minute that she walks into this party. But she comes into this place where she would be regarded as unclean just so she can show her great thanks to Jesus. Here's one who forgives sinners. Here is someone who welcomes sinners. And so she comes simply to, to express her gratitude to Jesus. And as she walks in, uh, overflowing with joy, overcome with joy, she finds him being disrespected by the very host of the dinner party. I mean, imagine her emotions at this point. As she rushes forward, this outcast, to do what the host of the party had failed to do. And Jesus turns to her and he says, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith, not your love, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Uh, Jesus is making a very public pronouncement of what has taken place here so that she'll hear it and so that she'll know she's actually forgiven and so that Simon and the religious establishment will know that she's forgiven as well. Well, what about Simon? Who exactly is Simon anyway? Simon was a Pharisee. Uh, The Pharisees were known to be this strict sect, this religious sect, known as the separated ones. They were known for their strict observance of the law. Uh, If the speed limit was 25, they set the cruise control on 13 and thought that you should too. All right? They were, they were, you gotta, you gotta do everything by the book. Uh, Simon came to, came to church on Sunday morning. He did, did all of that stuff. He went to Sunday school. He tithed all of this, but he didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't realize that not only did this woman have a debt, but that he had a debt too. Not only was this woman a sinner in the city, he was a sinner in the city himself. He didn't realize that his sin had made him offensive to God. He thought, I'm a good guy. I'm okay. I do what you're supposed to do. And God, at the end of the day, will accept me. See, not only was he an ungracious host, but he was self-righteous, judgmental, absorbed with himself, hostile and hard-hearted. Because he thought he had it all together. He thought he was the righteous one in all of this, and he wasn't. Because of that, he had no use for Jesus. He had no use for this message of grace that Jesus was preaching because he didn't think he really needed it. I'm, I'm not really a sinner. And he had no use for this woman because she was a sinner, and that was plain. Uh, and, and he wasn't. Uh, and so he didn't love because he hadn't experienced forgiveness. Uh, and Jesus is si- saying to Simon, yes, she is a sinner. She does have a debt. But you do too. You do too. Will you own up to that debt that you owe? Now, that's all our long Description of what's going on here. What, back to our questions. All right, what were our questions? Uh, number one, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Uh, Christianity, true Christianity, is not uh, a moral, uh, just this moral system. It's not about being good. It's not about doing the right thing. It's not about being religious. See, Simon was all of these things. He was moral, he was religious, he did the right thing. I would even lay money that he read his Bible in praise more than anybody in this room. He was probably more faithful in giving than anybody in this room. He did the things that you thought, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. But he had a debt. He had a debt that he couldn't pay to God. He was a sinner facing the very punishment, the very wrath of God. And yet he was woefully unaware of that fact. See, the Bible says that that all of us are in this boat, that we all suffer from this disease of the soul that the Bible calls sin. That we want to be God, really. Uh, We want to make our own rules. We want to do things our way. We want to approach life our way. We want glory for ourselves. We want to make God in our own image. I mean, how often do you hear someone say, 
that doesn't fit my conception of what God is like. Which, at the end of the day, what you're saying is, I am so all-powerful that I get to decide what God himself is like. That's up to me. Right here. For the whole universe, I am deciding what God is like. But what scripture says is, look, you don't just to get, get to make up God to help you get through life. Uh, but God is who he is and he's revealed that in scripture. And all of this uh, trying to make God in your own image and doing your own thing is actually rebellion against God. And there are consequences for that. You've accrued a debt. Uh, you deserve punishment. You've rebelled against the maker. Whether you're a preacher or a prostitute, you're, you're all in the same boat of owing this debt for your sin to God. But the scripture says that God sent his son, that Jesus willingly came to pay that debt, to take that punishment. And Jesus comes to you and he says, come to me and I'll pay the debt for you. Come to me and I'll wash you. Come to me, immoral women. Come to me, immoral men, and I'll make you clean. I will make you right with God because I love you. I've come for sinners. I haven't come for the righteous. You know, maybe you identify with this woman this morning, uh, and, and you know you're unclean. You know that your life is a mess. You know you haven't been doing the right thing, but you feel like the religious establishment has always rejected you and pushed you away and said, look, get yourself cleaned up and then come back. And Jesus says, no, I've come for you where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up. I'm going to do that for you. Uh, Maybe you don't identify with her completely this morning, but you have somebody in mind as you read this text. Maybe you know somebody like uh, this immoral woman. Are you looking at them like Simon did? How, how are you looking at them this morning? Uh, who, who, who is that for you? There's a, there's a beer commercial out for um, Carlsberg Beer. And it's it's kind of making its rounds on the internet. I may have sent it to a couple of you. And in this commercial, what they do is they take... Well, they fill up a theater full of, of tattooed biker guys, all right, rough-looking guys, and they leave two seats empty in the middle of the theater. And then as people are buying tickets for the movies, they sell them to these unsuspecting couples. And so you're out on a date, and you're going in with your wife or girlfriend or whatever, and you, you walk into this theater, and you turn the corner, and there's two seats left, and you're surrounded by scary-looking biker dudes. Uh, and it's a great, it's a great concept. It's a great commercial because you see people walk in and they're like, "I think we need to go." And then one couple walks in and the the girl just storms down there, and the guy's like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. We don't. I don't think we need to go in here." But finally, a few couples actually do this. They show in, in, in several theaters. They actually do this, and they sit down. And when they sit down, the lights come up, and everybody hands them a Carlsberg beer and claps for them, like the bikers are all in on it. Okay. Um, Here's the point. Who's filling up that theater for you? All right, if you walked into the building, who are the people that would make you turn around and go, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there with them. 
I'm not going in there with that type of person. You see what you've done. See, we're all more like Simon than we really want to admit. Because we don't love sinners. Uh, because we don't realize how much of a sinner we are ourselves. See, Christianity, it, it should change the way you live. But it's not just a moral system. And the gospel is not for good people. The gospel is for people who realize they're not good. That means, though, and this is good news, this means there's hope for the worst of sinners. The worst person in the room. There's hope for you in Jesus Christ. But on the other side, uh, the flip side of that is it means that there's no hope for the person who continues to rest in their own righteousness. Who continues to sit as Simon saying, I'm, I'm alright. I don't, I don't really have a debt. There's, there's nothing that I need Jesus for. See, at the end of the day, this woman needs Jesus but Simon needs Jesus too. The immoral person needs Jesus, but the moral person needs Jesus as well. Um, the moral person needs to be made clean as well. But before they can be made clean, they have to realize they aren't as moral as they think. Before you can be made clean, you have to realize you're dirty. Um, when... When Will was younger, and he probably doesn't remember this, but when he was about two years old, uh, he, we were trying to teach him to wash his hands. Uh, and he would go to the sink, but he couldn't do anything. And he would come to me and he's like, Daddy, you wash my hands. Daddy, you wash my hands. What do you realize in that? He realized his need for cleaning. He realized he couldn't do anything about it. And he realized that there was somebody he could. What's a Christian? A Christian is somebody who realizes their need for cleaning. Who realizes they can't do anything about it. But who realizes there's someone who can. And they run to him and say, you wash my hands. You wash my hands. Well, what about our second question? Uh, how do I grow as a Christian? Now, this could be a whole sermon in itself, so this is really just to get you thinking for a little bit. Um, in Matthew 22, Jesus tells us the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you wanted to simply uh, describe a growing Christian, you might say, well, a growing Christian is someone who's growing in love for God, and growing in love for their neighbor as well. Well, what according to this passage determines our love for God? It all depends on how much you think you've been forgiven. It all depends on how much you think you've been forgiven. See, a lot of us when we become Christians, we have some particular sin or maybe one or two sins in our lives that we feel particularly guilty for. And we began to imagine life without these sins. And we developed this mental picture of what life would look like. Having my quiet time every day. Going to church. Not committing those sins anymore. Even though life is really just about me still. Even if I might not do those anymore. And what happens over time is 
Uh, either you're not good at the Christian game, you're not good at saying you had your quiet time, you're not good at always being at church, and you just, you just kind of burn out on the whole thing. Right? I'm tired of pretending to be religious. I'm tired of faking religion and you burn out on it. Or you are good at the game and you get very self-righteous about your Christian activities and your Christian music and your Christian friends and the fact that you don't hang out with sinners any longer. And you become very self-righteous. Or you become very self-righteous because you've got this good theological understanding and you understand theology better than the next person. You become very self-righteous about that. We think we're getting better at Christianity. We're doing the right things. But since we think we have it all together, since we think we're doing all the right things, we begin to forget how sinful we really are. Uh, And when we forget how sinful we really are, we forget how much we need Jesus to forgive us. And when we forget how much we need Jesus to forgive us, we don't love him that much anymore. And we certainly don't love the real sinners. And slowly, almost without thinking about it, we're beginning to become Simon the Pharisee. Well, how do we grow then? Well, as we expose ourselves to Scripture, uh, to the means of grace, one of the things that ought to be happening is we're beginning to go, wait a minute. God is really, really holy. He's a lot more holy than I thought. He's a lot more just than I thought. And I'm a lot more sinful than I realized when I started this thing called Christianity out. I don't have it together nearly as well as I thought I did. I mean, I thought my trouble was just my temper or my whatever, but I'm beginning to realize that I don't care about anybody. I'm just kind of all in it for me. I'm self-absorbed and at the end of the day want what's best for me and mine. Uh, And we realize, you know, I thought Jesus only came to forgive me just a little bit of my sin, a thimbleful of sin. And over time we begin to realize, wait a minute, it's two, three, four. It's an aircraft carrier full of sin that Jesus has actually forgiven me. Jesus had to forgive me that much sin. Uh, As you see more of your sin, more of God's holiness... Uh, you realize that Jesus didn't pay a small debt. He paid an enormous debt. He didn't forgive you a small debt. He forgave you an infinite debt. And the more you see that, the more you love him. Um, The more you see that, the more you love him. There will be times when you are seeing so much of the depth and the ugliness of your sin that you feel like, man, I'm just going in the absolute wrong direction. But the reality of the matter may be that you're actually growing in grace and growing in holiness and growing in your love of God and man. Because you're seeing deeper, you're getting deeper, you're seeing more of who God is, but the cross is becoming that much bigger and larger in your experience. And so you love Jesus more and more. Much like William Carey. And I'll tell you, one of the, that can sound very sort of, uh, uh, not, not very practical, very abstract. One of the concrete ways for you to experience this is if you sin badly against somebody you care about very much. All right? Uh, now, the gospel is what's going to enable them to forgive you. 
But as you see them forgive you for what you've done, uh, you're going to realize, wow, look at what happened here. And you're going to love them even more. All right? And you're going to get the gospel even better because of something that's happened concretely in your life. Wow, I had this huge debt, and they're actually forgiving this debt. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for me. Well, last question. How do you tell if somebody really understands the gospel? What does that start to look like? Uh, Somebody who understands the gospel won't necessarily be making a lot of noise for Jesus. They won't necessarily be able to give you a tight explanation of every passage in the Bible. But they will have a growing awareness of their own sin. They will have as well a growing love for the one who has paid for their sin. And that love for Jesus is going to mean that you care less and less about what other people think of you, like this woman. Uh, You're going to care less and less about your comfort and your possessions and your wealth. It just won't matter as much. You'll be able to do costly and bold and even humiliating things because you understand the gospel and you understand the great love of Jesus Christ. Uh, Those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven much love much. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know, if I was honest, I, I don't love much. I don't love life that much. Uh, I don't love people that much. And I, I don't really love Jesus that much. Uh, maybe the issue is you don't realize how big a sinner you are. But maybe the issue is you don't realize how forgiven you are. Uh, it's in realizing that uh, that love will begin to be this driving force in your life as you realize that Jesus actually has forgiven your sin. The one you don't want to tell anybody about that sin. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for Uh, The gospel, thank you for this portrait of a sinful woman and a righteous man. God, I pray that it would make sense to us. uh, That we would see that we all have a debt and that none of us can pay it. Would you cause that fact to cause us to run to Jesus uh, and to receive his forgiveness and to receive his love and to become those who love much ourselves. We pray it. In Jesus' name, amen.